Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and other SPAC partners. There are new things coming to brand security, from physical marks that track products through their supply chains, to digital tools to prevent online piracy. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Melina Haddad and I speak with Selva Selvaratnam, CEO of OPSEC Security. OPSEC provides a variety of brand security services, and it announced a $426 million combination with InvestCorp Europe Acquisition Corp. 1 in April. Selva tells us how OPSEC approaches cross-selling among its clients and how M&A plays into its efforts to expand EBITDA margins. He also tells us how this SPAC deal could accelerate that path. Take a listen. So, some of it, you've been with OPSEC since 2020, but the company has been around for quite a while beforehand and what seems like some very different periods in its life cycle from being public before to being taken private again, and all while the technology was really changing a lot around it. So, can you talk a bit about that journey and, and how things were going with the company when you first came on board? OPSEC started its life looking at how to protect a product by putting putting something on it. It started off in the hologram arena by putting high security holograms on products to sort of protect them so they can be authenticated. This went on for quite a while. It then through a series of acquisitions, they broadened their portfolio and ability to supply track and trace solutions, licensing solutions. But it was always focused on protecting a brand's intangible values, its reputation in the marketplace, the ability to to recognize a fake product, the ability to monetize your brand through licensing. That's where it started. And as time went on, there was a greater and greater software component that was being built into the offering itself. And over time, that software component started to intersect with wanting to protect brands online. So in 2020, there was through an acquisition, which is when I just about came in, we moved quite significantly into providing also online brand protection or brand protection in cyberspace, as it were. So we then had the ability to sort of protect you from where your products were made, through the shipping channels to where it's supposed to go to, for you to interact with the customers that buy it, all the way to its presence in in cyberspace, in marketplaces, and all the other places that products now exist. And for us to protect them in that space, because so with that evolution, we we were able to say there are products being advertised where they shouldn't be, there are map violations taking place, there are products being gray market diverted, and we have then built upon that. So when I arrived, we were at the beginning part of the digital journey in 2020. Now that's uh, advanced quite considerably all the way up to today, where we have now integrated the OBP offering, integrated it with our physical offerings. And with our latest acquisition of Zacco, we've brought IP management into the portfolio. So it takes us to a fairly broad 360 provider of IP protection and IP management. And we tend to operate in three broad spaces. We help with the creation of IP, so we look at trademarks, patents, the, the ideation that goes with sort of putting putting IP together around your brand. We then help you monetize it by, by, by making it correctly, meeting compliance requirements with ESG, shipping it through your supply chains, and then protecting it, and then licensing it if required. And then last but not least, we then protect its presence during the sale process in, in the digital world, in marketplaces. And we're beginning to look at also starting to protect, you know, NFTs, for instance. We protect NFTs. We protect the brand as it exists in its various reincarnations. We're uniquely positioned fundamentally because we are vertically integrated. So we make the products 
that you actually put. We make the authentication products that you actually put on your product itself to protect it. Now, that gives us an advantage because we tailor it to the supply chain requirements that each large brand has. So it's, it's been a journey. It's been an interesting journey. And I joined, it was a much smaller company and we have now much, we're about three times the size now. We're about 218 million. It's been an interesting journey that's got us here. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into next. And just looking at it, it looks like the, the company was doing about 88 million in annual revenue when you got there in 2020. Now expecting, as you mentioned, the 2018 and the 2023 fiscal year. And just of those, you mentioned a lot of different new capabilities that have grown on to the group over those years, which have been had the biggest impact on that revenue growth. The revenue growth, the greatest part, obviously, was our licensing and our solutions for track and trace, particularly in tech stamps, grew quite considerably, right? Our brand protection online presence was brought on board by, obviously, the acquisition of uh, Mark Monitor and the OBP capabilities that happened in 2020. And then the last piece of that puzzle is the IP patent management and the IP and the trademark management and the compliance management that came with Zacco. Now, Zacco is a very old name and it's just about to come on board, but that's what takes us to the performa of 218. Right. And just going off of that, can you walk us through how OPSEC's business model works overall? It starts right at the beginning. And at the beginning, if you're making a product and you want to protect the manufacturing of the product, we will supply you with the authentication labels you need to attach to the product in one way or another so you can tell it's your product. We are then capable of tracking and tracing that all the way through the supply chain to to its final destination. Because we are tracking and tracing it, we can actually work out a gray market diversion. We can work out if it ends up in the wrong place, obviously, right? So you, you will get instances where products is manufactured, but 30% less turns up. Well, we can tell you where the other the 30% might have gone by backtracking where, where it should have arrived from. We then help brands interact with their buyers because they'll be able to scan their SKU code that we've put on or something on the product that they can scan. It might be an RFID tag with their phones to then interact with the buyers to check that it's a it's it's a it's a it's an authentic product where necessary. Some customers use it, some customers don't, but it allows you to, to be able to tell where that is going. And then last but not least, in conjunction with that, we obviously are scanning the internet to sort of look for um, fake products being put up products that are not authentic being put up, product in the wrong marketplaces. That's how the business model works all the way through. But there are also other things we protect. Copyright, for instance, copyright on on, on films. So if they're live broadcasts, we will actually fingerprint what's being broadcast and detect when these are copied and put into social media platforms. And we will then block or remove them from those social media platforms. Right, Video on demand, peer-to-peer, these are all things we watch out for for our various customers to be able to protect their copyright in cyberspace, as it were. Because the consumption of these things have changed over time. And as things go forward, a lot of intangible rights and benefits don't exist in physical form anymore. And we are there to sort of protect both sides of it, the physical side and the intangible values that brand bring, brands have and, and thrive on. Got it. And it seems like although the company has diversified quite a bit, your core business is still managing IP portfolios themselves. So when you work on bringing in clients and beginning the cross-selling process, what tends to be the part of the business that first gets your foot in the door? It actually is a very, very mixed story. There are customers that don't buy our whole solution. A lot of customers take portions of it. So it depends where they're coming from. If it's governments we're dealing with, it's tech stems and RFIs that we go after. And then we can either supply the full software solution or we can supply just the tech stamp. 
if required. That then usually opens up other opportunities. With most customers, it's never a very large program. It's a program that is fairly defined and then expands over time. Our solutions are sticky. They tend to, they, our customers stay with us a long time. Our retention rates are very high. So our customers tend to commit to us. We tend to work on in a white glove treatment method with them. And it's usually a small order that expands through an RFI or by just us talking to customers who have a problem and they come to us and say, we have this problem. How do we help solve it? Yeah, that gets right at what I wanted to ask about next in that, you know, you have a a great slide in your presentation where you break down the business well in terms of what are some of the other players operating in each of those segments, what you think you do well, where you think you have a more dominant market position or not. And I found it interesting just looking at that in that, you know, you rate yourself as having a less dominant market position when it comes to those government solutions. But that's a a market segment you know well from your time at De La Rue. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what sort of challenges has OPSEC faced in, in breaking in there further? The government protection business is an important part of our business because it gives us a lot of the enabling technologies that we use right across the business. It also gives us an incredible amount of credibility in the marketplace. We deal with governments. They trust us to produce their tech stamps, to apply them to soft drinks, to alcohol, to tobacco, to whatever they want to apply it to. It's a revenue generation mechanism. We can supply the tech stamp. We can apply all the security features that are required on it, and that varies from covert to overt security features, just as you do in currency. It, it's, it's, it's valuable. And then that moves on to the track and trace capability that is applied. So it's, it's, a, it's a use of our technology in a highly demanding regulated area that, gives, that anchors us to where we want to go. Now, when you look at the other players in this market, that's all they focus on. We use that as a lever to enable technologies and capabilities into the brand space. Great. And, and similarly, although it remains a relatively small party re- revenue mix right now, your presentation rates OPSEC as ha- being a market leader in that online brand protection, as you were discussing there. And that's a market I imagine there's there's a lot of demand for and probably a great deal of competition. But you know, in terms of your own tools, why is OPSEC a cut above the rest there? Well, I think fundamentally, our technology, we invest a huge amount in technology. And that investment has led to, we use machine learning, we use AI mechanisms to sort of help us do what we need to do. At the same time, we've developed a symbiotic technology that actually deals with the ethos we bring to a brand. Our, our ethos with a brand is a wife glad treatment where we're close to the brand, we understand their business, and we tailor things to their business. In reality, our systems are configurable and we configure to needs. And that works really well with our customers because what they want is a partner that's going to see them on a medium-term journey, not a supplier. So that sort of differentiates us quite significantly. That's sort of augmented by the fact that if you look at the uh, um, interbrand best 100 brands in the world, we deal with about two-thirds of them. These are the biggest companies in the world. And the reason they deal with us is because we have that all-rounded, integrated, we sit and become part of your team type technology and advice. We become the trusted experts for them in, in particular areas that they, they want to focus on their business. They want us to do. They want us to help them protect where, what, they, what they need protected and depend on us as trusted advisors as well. Right. And so how would you say has the technology of brand security changed in recent years? And are you working to involve the blockchain in any of your approaches? We, we've, we've looked at blockchain and other technologies. We, we apply technologies when there is a need. And we have looked at blockchain in the areas we operate in, 
unless 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 you look at very niche areas it doesn't bring an advantage so we haven't applied it we have the capabilities to apply it obviously but we haven't found the need to apply it yet but other technologies such as machine learning and ai have more relevance in what we're doing so we tend to focus on those to give us the advantage that we need Got it. And Upsec has completed 10 acquisitions since 2006. So M&A has been a big part of the company's growth story. How have those deals made an impact and what has been your strategy looking at those opportunities in your time as CEO? In my time as CEO, I I I started at a time when the company went into lockdown. So it was a time of seismic change at the time. The earthquakes were happening with COVID and what we did at the time was to ensure that our customers were not let down. our factory stayed open supply chain stayed open we worked out mechanisms to keep the supply chains flowing for our customers that was very important that's why they come to us they want a resilient company with multiple manufacturing sites that is capable of carrying on supplying even under seismic changes such as covid and how it applied to the world as it were it brought about a a change in the business now how have we brought so how have i looked at the business we've looked at the business in terms of mna the story is about providing a rounded and complementary services to brand protection and the abilities such as in government to build on what we have to go further so we acquire technologies we acquire capabilities but either to augment geography or to drive capabilities in particular areas such as the acquisition of zacco that brought about a trademark management patent registrations uh, digital compliance and other capabilities we did not have but we know our clients want and how much did the potential for a greater deal making flexibility as a public company play into opsec's decision to ultimately go public in a spac deal it played a part because what we are looking at i think it gives us the credibility it gives us the ability to invest and innovate further and also the financial capability to start looking to dream a little to look at the next level of where we can go and this company has got a long road ahead of us with a great many exciting things about to happen yeah and moving on to that deal you know Upsec wound up with the opportunity to be able to do a transaction with a you know a SPAC team that was affiliated with your own sort of ownership group and you know I mean there's been a lot of deals similar to that with that level of familiarity and while I guess some people may raise their eyebrows at it we've actually seen in terms of the results that familiarity between the target companies and SPAC sponsors generally has a huge benefit to the transactions but I'm just interested in in sort of what has been your perspective on how that all kind of came together from the inside we were looking for where our journey would take us and we had fundamental areas that we wanted to focus on we wanted to look at becoming a public company we could have gone ipo we could have gone a spac we could have gone to another private property but what this gave us was the ability i think it gave us liquidity it gave us the ability to actually give us a lot more credibility remember we're dealing with some of the uh, a company's probably most valuable asset a brand and the credibility of the company that is able to supply a broad service becomes more and more important and, and i think that raises our stature to a point where it becomes important and so we focused on where that might take us and the spec was owned by another part of investcorp and it came together at arm's length and it actually the familiarity of the business was very useful in helping us make this decision as we go forward 
Yeah. And just, I mean, looking at the terms, I mean, just for anybody who looks at a, a lot of SPAC deals, you know, you can see some signs of some transactions that seem to very heavily favor one side or the other, either through very eye-popping valuation for, you know, sometimes very early companies, but also and sometimes with overly generous terms for the sponsor. And this one doesn't have any of those. I mean, it's the sponsor is still forfeiting a lot of promote shares and OPSEC is coming at a discount to most of its listed peers in terms of the, the initial valuation. And so just as that process was going through, what were some of your priorities in terms of negotiating? negotiating a deal that you're going to be putting forward um, as a strong deal to the public? I think my, my priority was to show a company that's got a path forward and the ability to actually perform going forward, not one that's going to come in that is over leveraged or, or, or at a point where it, the valuations are so high, they're unsustainable. We have a fair valuation that sort of takes us into a market where we, we know we can grow and perform and we have a trajectory in front of us that will bring value to our shareholders. So that was my primary focus as we went forward and was, was the core of all our negotiations. Great. And looking at that too, you know, you provide great information for investors to take a look at in, in your presentation, but, you know, and, and OPSEC is growing at a much faster clip than most of its listed peers, but many of them do have some edge on OPSEC at the moment, just in terms of their own EBITDA margins. So how are you working on closing that gap there? I think the EBITDA margins will grow as we leverage the technologies that we're beginning to expand on, right? We've invested in technologies in, the, in prior years. That investment is beginning to start to pay off. And the automation we're bringing to it and the scale we will bring as we grow will, will drive to the bottom line. So I expect our bottom line margin to grow. And there's some indications in some of our literature as to where we'd be going with it. And in approaching that with M&A, what has the market climate been like for acquisitions? There have been a lot of signs of venture funding in particular drying up. Has that impacted valuation expectations out there at all? It depends on the companies you're looking at. If you're looking at profitable companies working in growth areas, I don't think it's affected it that much. And what we are doing are looking at companies that complement what we have with either high synergies or are complementary and profitable. Seco was exactly that. Got it. And then what is the new service out there that you'd be most excited to add either organically or inorganically to your company? I think there are multiple areas when, where we have gaps in what we offer our customers. Chief among which is domains, for instance. Domain registration is something we do, but we don't have it in our core. I'd like that to be a core part of what we do because it's, it's another part of brand identity. We have gaps in our ability in certain geographies, so that geographical expansion we could be looking at as well. And in terms of technology, the investment in machine learning and AI is, is continuing, and it is something that we will keep looking at to see what we can do to, to again, that's a means of us leveraging our bottom line. You know, that's really interesting that, that point you threw in there because it's just such a, a hot topic right now in terms of AI and machine learning. And I imagine that there's something that, you know, companies like yours have to be guarded against that from two different ways. Well, on one hand, it's a, it's a fantastic tool to be able to use in terms of monitoring the marketplace. But I imagine at least some brands are having to face at least some issues with you know, the amount of counterfeit products and things like that out there and, and the ability of some of these AI models, whether it's chat GPT or whatever, um, to generate you know, fake content about brands or, or connected with them and things like that. What have you been seeing in terms of how some of those things that are floating out there affect you? We haven't seen much yet. I think it's early days. We have countermeasures to a lot of these, which obviously I wouldn't want to talk about as well. But the, the, the countermeasures will come. Remember, if you go back to counterfeiters, it has always been a arms race. 
it's always been a race between the forger coming up with something and you coming up with something else. But technology gives us an edge and the scope we have and the scale we have will always give us an edge to be able to predict more and more as we start to go forward. But it's, a, it's an unending battle. And this is why brands depend on an expert in this area to sort of get, get what they want out of them because they can't do this because they don't specialize in it. Yeah, and just looking at your scale and the amount of things that you're being able to keep track of at all at the same time, I imagine there's a, there's a fabulous amount of data that you're being able to harvest on a regular basis. Whether, I mean, sometimes on, on supply chain issues, as you were talking about earlier, in terms of the actual physical goods and the movement of goods, but also just in the amount of productivity and other things like that uh, online, ha- have you considered uh, you know creating any type of public data pro- products kind of along those lines and kind of studying what you're, what you're seeing out there? Well, I think what, what you'll find is it's early days yet when we've started to integrate all our, the companies we've acquired. We, we do have an enormous amount of data. What we can mine out of the data and how it's applied is something we will be looking at over time. And that's, as you asked before, it's probably an area of investment that we need to start to think about. Well, it's not probably, it is an area of investment that we are thinking about. And it is an area where I feel over time, the data that we have on trends in the marketplace, it doesn't have to be about a particular brand, would, would actually be valuable. But this is something we're going to start to look at over time. This is in the road ahead, the road ahead and it's an exciting road ahead, right? So if you look at what OPSEC is, right? We're a leading provider. We're leading because there's no, if, think of another company that has the breadth of service we have and you won't find any, right? There are very, very few. There, there are plenty that will offer segments of what we do, but joined together puts us in a relatively unique position, right? We're in fast growing addressable markets. The markets we're in are growing extremely quickly and their agenda and their trends, macro trends that are driving things, you know, the ESG agenda, the 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 the, um, the, the, the circular economy that is coming through, all of these things are driving the requirement to be able to tell: is this product I got real? Is it being reused? And brands want to know who the owners are, not just the first owner, the second owner, and the third owner, and the fourth owner, because they want to interact with their consumers, as it were. It's innovation driven. And that's, innovation is at our core. It always has been. If you go back to OPSEC's DNA, we started off in an innovation area. That's where we come from, right? Our customer base is exceptional. It is some of the best and most well-known brands in the world. And we have high retention rates. Our management team, that's another piece that I think people need to realize. When I came on board, we recruited a whole new management team looking forward to the future, to a bigger company capable of driving greater momentum in the marketplace. And the management team was built around that from sales leaders to business leaders, to product management, to the head of HR. It was put together. So this becomes a bigger company that is capable of scaling. We don't have this the normal growth scenario you go through where you hit a ceiling because your management team now needs to scale up. We started that journey on that scale already. We have significant runways for growth here with addition of, 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 of missing services as well as expansion of wallet, right? And our, our financials are compelling. Whichever way you look at it, we have 15% EBITDA, our turnover is 218 million, and we are at the beginning of our journey. All of this thing ties together to sort of provide an offering that I think would differentiate this quite significantly, even in the IPO space.